The following is brought to you by the Starfleet Podcast Network, SPN, The Spin. Hi, I'm David Dodd, and I wanted to give a big shout out uh, to a couple of different people who have helped me along the way in this journey to try to get my scripts and my pitch deck seen by the right people. Uh, the first person is Todd Marks. He owns images on screen. He does a lot of the video playback on shows like Star Trek Picard. He also did some, he also kind of like brought playback to a new level in Star Trek Nemesis, uh, the film. And he, he does some work on the Quantum Leap reboot. And he's been an invaluable resource and supportive and always accessible and available to me. And the other person I'd like to mention is Tara Ansley. She is a co-owner at Fangoria Studios and she runs, uh, workshops on pitching and other aspects of the industry, like raising capital for your, you know, for your, for, for films and that sort of thing through the Southern Screen Society. And I took her pitch workshop, which was very useful and informative. And so those are the two people, because I wouldn't have gotten this far or made the kinds of connections without the kind of uh, generosity and extending themselves and being available to me along this way. Better chance to get struck by lightning than winning the lottery. Well, I always say that I would like to win the lottery. The problem is that I need to play the lottery. So it's not like you can win it if you don't play it. So I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to get off my butt, go play the lottery, win millions of dollars, and then just go vacation on some deserted island and retire from podcasting. I don't know. David, welcome to Beyond Trek Podcast, and I am your host, Big J. So I would like to spend the evening talking with you about your work with Star Trek, some of the projects that you're working on, and I understand that there are some things you can bring up, some that you are not able to, so let's just uh, ride with what you can tell us, uh, tell us about myself and the audience. So would you like to start with how you got involved with Star Trek? Okay. First of all, I'm not um, actually involved with Star Trek or any of the current students. I wanted to, I want to make that clear first. Uh, this is, I have a degree in math and I was a caregiver for my family, my dad and my brother, several years. And after they passed away, I was having difficulty finding work. There's a lot of people, especially in the writing industry, is facing right now. And I decided maybe this was telling me that this is a good time to pursue something that I enjoy. Because a lot of times people don't realize that what's underneath their nose is what they might be good at. And I know Star Trek and I enjoy writing and I thought I could merge them both together. And so I decided last year in 2022 to, I had these two ideas for Star Trek series that had been in my head for a while. And I decided to actually do something about it and take action. And I sat down and for several months developed these ideas. And they're two different Star Trek series. And my goal, my ultimate goal is to see if I might be invited to pitch them to Secret Hideout or CBS, who are the owners and custodians of the franchise and who do all the shows and everything. And I realized that the odds are very slim, but, you know, never know. And so... I wrote these shows and I did a script 
I did a treatment. And um, I, the next thing that I wanted to do is what order I go from there. Because I didn't have a lot of money. Most professional screenwriters use final draft, which is the industry standard, but it's very expensive. It's like several hundred dollars. And so I, I did some review and stuff, and I found some very good free script writing software. So I sat down and I wrote the pilot script, which is one of the key documents that, you know, you need to include in your material. And so I did that. And then I started to, I did a workshop, uh, through the Southern Screen Society on how to pitch. And that was very informative and helpful. So a lot of people think that once you have an idea, that you just sit down and type it and that's it. Well, that's just the beginning, actually, because they don't call it show business or nothing. I mean, it, it, there is a creative component to it, but a lot of it is about pitching and selling yourself and your idea. And you have to do a lot of marketing. And there's these documents called pitch decks. Are you familiar with those? I have not heard of pitch decks until you mentioned it when we were talking on Facebook. Well, they used to not be as important as they have been. It kind of with, you know, you're familiar with the Netflix series, Stranger Things. Oh, yes, absolutely. That pitch deck seems to become like the watershed moment for pitch decks because it's always referred to and mentioned a lot. Um, at the time, the working title of it was called Montauk. But the person did a really good job of like creating this old book feel to it. And so there's a lot of heavy graphic weighted material for pitch deck. I don't know if you want me to get into a pitch deck or not. Let's hear more about it. Yeah, I'd like to learn more about uh, pitch deck. Well, yeah, a lot of people, I, I find it fascinating because I didn't know much about pitch decks. People sometimes think a pitch deck and a series Bible are the same thing or interchangeable. And I've learned that that's really not necessarily the case. But a pitch deck is basically where you uh, consolidate your ideas, go through like three uh, beats of the pilot, introducing the characters, where the series may go in subsequent years, seasons two and three. And there is a visual graphic component to it. Uh, you want to kind of illustrate the tone, the feel, the look, possible actors or similar characters you can like draw from and incorporate into it to give the studio an idea of what the, the character may be like in certain traits. Uh, they tend, they vary in, in length depending on the show and all that kind of thing. Um, they do take a while to do because you, you have a lot of information, but you don't want to go into too much detail. It's just like a surface skim of the characters and that sort of thing. Um, and you, and, and you kind of want to keep a consistent theme to the look of it and tie it all together. You know, sometimes the pages are colored. Sometimes they're given a weathered look. Um, there's a title page. You have to include a title page. It kind of gives it the graphic feel for the show, like kind of like an opening. You know how Lost, they had the, the title Lost, and it was kind of like moved. It was laying flat uh, and, and shows like that. And so that's kind of what it entails. And then these days, an important component is why you – the creator and why your show, why do you want us to do it now? And so you have to sit there and you have to uh, make an argument about why your show out of all the hundreds of thousands of shows that are made, why you want to do this one and why it should be you that they choose. And so that's basically what a pitch deck is. And then you hand it off 
And you also do a one sheet, which is like a smaller abridged version of the pitch deck. That's one sheet, as its name implies, that just has your contact information and a summary of what the show is that you leave with the person. So, yeah, so, th- so there's a lot of documents you have to think of because you have to have the pilot script, sometimes a series Bible, you have to have the pitch deck, and then you have to practice the pitch, and brevity is your friend. Yeah, there is a lot involved in that. That is a hell of a lot more than I thought. And you did a lot of research on it, and it sounds like you really attack this pretty seriously. Yeah, I, I came in completely a novice. I, I briefly, I know that there are Star Trek scripts that have been released, uh, like on uh, several different websites that show the uh, working script and everything. And so I, I familiarized myself because I kind of find scripts fascinating, especially Star Trek, because a lot of stuff, when you read the script that's online, didn't make it into, and I've always find the evolution of what's got cut and what was going to happen very fascinating. So I have familiarized myself in a in kind of like a hobby kind of way with scripts. But then when I decided to tackle this and, and do it seriously and professionally, I did, I, it was just me. I didn't have much help at the beginning. And I just was kind of like self-taught and doing it. And I wanted to do it the right way. Because like a script, we were talking about the pitch deck, but scripts are also their own thing. You don't just sit down and do paragraphs and stuff like you do in high school or college essay or that kind of thing. Uh, there's a formatting to it. And thankfully, most script writing software these days do do most of that for you. They set the margins. They set the 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 features and the correct formatting. I mean, there's certain – I mean, there's an industry standard that you have to have on your script because – a lot of it is now processed through computer programs that take some of the onus off a script coordinator so they don't have to do a whole lot of things because of the way it's formatted and the computer programs that you can run on it. So it requires things to be kind of like like slug lines. Are you familiar with slug lines? Unfortunately, you're going to have to educate me on slug lines as well. <laughs> like slug lines. Or like the, it tells you the location that the particular scene takes place in. Like, oh is it yes, interior, yeah, is it okay. interior, exterior, uh, and so, so there's a lot of detail. Like, it has to be capitalized, and then there's also like preference. Like, some shows want you to bold slug line, and other shows don't really care if you bold it. Yeah, sorry, I knew what it was, but when you said slug line, I just was not familiar with yeah. that term. Okay. Yeah. So there, there, it, it, it wasn't as simple as just sitting tight. You have to format it, the scripts, the pitch deck. I mean, there, the one sheets, there's all kinds of things involved. So that, I, I did that over several months and I took my time to do it. Wow. That is amazing. And you did this all by yourself, basically, with no uh, co-writer or someone to help you along with the process. You no, had to teach yourself. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think it was, it was hard. I mean, it would be nice if I had somebody that was familiar with it in writing, but I don't really know anybody, or at least at that time. I mean, I've met people and talked to them on Facebook and other things, but right now, I mean, at the beginning, I did not have those resources to call upon. It was just pretty much me just by the seat of my pants. And I think I did okay on it. I mean, um, I did reach out. It was recommended that maybe to get a third outside perspective look into a script consultant and I did do that 
And I also reached out to Dan Matson. I, I assume you probably know who he is. You said Dan Matson? Yes. I believe I am familiar with the name. Yes. Well, he ran the, the fan club and did a lot of the official stuff for Star Trek. And then Lucasfilm approached him to do something similar for Star Wars. Gotcha. Yep. And he ran the fan clubs and the magazines for many, many years and did it very well. And so I, I figured if anybody knew Star Trek or pop culture, it was him. So I did reach out to him and I was kind of astonished because he actually was very gracious and reached back out to me and said, yes, he would take a look at my pilot script. So back in the spring, I sent that to him and he rounded his schedule. He was able to read it and get back to me. And he told me that, and by the way, I checked with him before I came on here to see if this is okay to, that I had his permission to tell. And he said that he loved it, quote, loved it. And it's quite good. So that was both humbling and gratifying. And I, I it gave me, uh, it wanted me to spur on to, to pursue this even further. So he gave you a thumbs up on your, your story idea, script idea, all of that. Well, he only saw the pilot script. He, the pilot I script. Didn't sit, I didn't send any other material that I had, like my pitch deck. But okay. from just the pilot script for one of the series, he did say that. And that was very, very nice of him to do that. First of all, to reach out to me. Because so many people these days, you, you reach out to them and you, you get nothing back. You hear crickets. But yeah. he was gracious enough to take the time out of his busy schedule with all he had going on to reach out to me. And gracious enough to say, yes, I'll take a look at it. And he did get back to me. And I and I. I appreciate that a great deal. So from what I understand, there are a couple of big considerations for something like this and everything that you've done, put it all together, the pitch decks, the treatment, Bible script, that feels like that's one whole part. But the other one, the other one that seems like it's very important that I believe might be forgotten about is protecting your intellectual property and uh, preventing going in and doing a pitch or producing all these things and having your idea taken, which is something, if, if you recall, back during the days of DS9, and this is something that is still contested. It's always going to be two sides, two sides to the story. But are you familiar with Babylon 5? Yes, I remember that, the whole thing about, yes. But you can go ahead and it's okay. So, you know, the story where the way that the Babylon 5 creator, J. Michael Straczynski, tells it is he went in and pitched this idea to Paramount and they kind of told him, OK, yep, thank you for coming in. And uh, it was kind of more or less a like, you know, yeah, we're going to pass. And then suddenly DS9 happens. So it in his eyes, it was he pitched this idea that was then taken. So he created, then he created Babylon 5. Well, Ronald D. Moore, who was the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it was, yes, yes, to start, it was, it was Ronald Moore. Uh, well, I actually, I, th I think Michael Pillar and Rick Berman both created Deep Space Nine. They co created it. it, it I, and then, and then I think Iris Stephen Bear took over in the third season. Iris Stephen Bear, yes. And I think, I'm thinking of Voyager. I'm sorry. Uh, Ronald D. Moore was, was on Voyager. I, I get people mixed up sometimes because he did Voyager and then he did what Voyager was supposed to be, which was the revised Battlestar Galactica. 
Right. Um, well, I think I actually I don't want to correct you, but I the I think Ron Ronald D. Moore transitioned after Next Generation ended to Deep Space Nine, and he was a writer on there. And you, then mm-hmm. I think after the Deep Space Nine ended, he briefly went on to Voyager during season six, and yes. then he left uh, because of creative differences. Yep. Yep, you're absolutely right. That's that's how that one happened. And you're right, Iris Stephen Bear. I think he didn't come on to DS9 until the third season, if no, if I'm I, correct. I'm Wasn't pretty sure. I know my Star Trek, so yeah. But I don't want to. But he was there from the beginning because I do remember that he did speak of how Michael Pillar they had gone to a baseball game and uh, he t- Michael Pillar said that he was only going to work on Deep Space Nine for a little bit and then he wanted to hand the reins over to Iris Stephen Bear during the third season and they kind of were underway during the second season of Space Nine and then when then Michael Pillow became a creative consultant towards the end I believe it was the Dias cast the two part Cardassian episode where mm-hmm. the Dominion fleet uh, I mean the Cardassian Romulan fleet were destroyed by uh, the Dominion I, I, I'm almost certain that was the case but if I'm if either of our Either of us are wrong. I'm sure you're going to hear it in your comments. <laughs> you know how Trek fans are. They like to nitpick, and if you don't get it right, yeah. but well, we're, I, I, we're old. We can't remember everything. We've got some of the pieces. You know, we'd, we'd like to think, well, we know Star Trek in and out, but there are some things that may come up. Like I, I know generally the steps, but not exactly. Okay, he took over in this season, and he went on after that. But so the 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 point I was getting to was that. So that was that was the story was uh, Straczynski proposed this idea. Paramount said they'd pass on it, but turned it into DS9, argued that it was different. But when you see them both, they're kind of very similar. So how do you keep from taking this idea that you have, pitching it, getting told you they'll pass or kind of turn turn it down and then seeing it on the screen? Well, first of all, I, that is an isolated incident. My understanding is there's that prevailing idea that that happens a lot, but I really, from what I understand, that does not happen all that often. There may be an isolated case. I don't know all the details, and I don't want to disparage anybody involved in that particular circumstance. I don't know the details. I wasn't privy to it, so I really can't comment. But it's but one thing is this is intellectual property that I that I wrote. Uh, the custodians of that are CBS, Roddenberry Entertainment, and Secret Hideout. Uh, I, you know, I can't copyright that. Uh, I mean, I, I created original characters and original things when I did this, and I can't copyright that. Uh, you can't claim copyright on somebody else's intellectual property, and that's not what I'm doing. I, this is in a lot of ways just a spec script in some ways. Um, I have registered it with the Writers Guild, which is what a lot of people recommend doing. And, you know, they're having a strike right now. But you can go onto their website, and whenever you create something, whether it's a pitch document, a treatment, a script, a pilot script, you're able to go there, and they allow you to register. And even if you're not a member or you're pre-WGA, which is what they call someone who has successfully sold something or written something, you can... uh get a registration number where it's digitally stored like in a virtual safety deposit box and you get a number and you pay $20 for a non 
a non-member, you can do that. And then you can include that on your documents to protect the ideas that you came to the table with. And like I said, I really am not concerned with that happening because I do believe that these studios are above reproach in that regard. And, you know, plus you have to sign material releases before they'll even let you pitch, which is an agreement to say, if we do create something that's even remotely similar, you're releasing uh, liability. So oh. this is a lot of stuff I've learned that, you, you know, they won't even look at stuff unless you, you sign a, a material release, what they call it. So it's kind of like, we want to be able to take your idea and you not do anything about it is. Well, I don't, I don't maybe not so much in those words, but, but I, I don't think that they want to take it. They just don't want some, let's say a coincidence, you know, okay. but just, we happen to come up with the same idea and we don't want to even give the appearance of impropriety on our part. But I really do think, I mean, I don't really think a lot of that kind of thing happens. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. But from what I've read and what I understand, they really, because of so much lawsuits and stuff that's happened in prior years, that studios are really careful about that. Kind of thing. Well, you've taken the steps that you needed to make sure that you're doing this correctly and that if the if the idea is to be used that you're not just is it one of those things where if they do and if you don't know this one that's that's okay where if your idea is used are you then involved in it or is it just kind of like a thanks for the idea here's your 10 bucks now take well, a hike. those are all possibilities from what i understand like i said i want to make it clear I have not pitched to the studios. I have not been approached by the studios. Right. My goal is after the strike, because you cannot approach studios right now because of the strike. You can't, even if you're not. Well, I mean, if you aren't a WGA member, you could theoretically, but it's considered scabbing. So you don't want to do that. I mean, you can see what's happening with Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher with the fact there's a lot of that going on. I don't know if you keep up with that, but the, the best thing is I, I can't approach the studio. Is there anyone involved with the studios until after the strike? But my goal is to, I'm working towards that. And I'm trying to take all the right steps to where they might be interested in my ideas. Um, like I said, I have two ideas. I think it would make the money. I think the fans would love them. I can't go into details about it, but I do think they would like it. Uh, like I said, I've been a fan all my life. And um, I approach them very seriously. Yeah, and, I'm, and I want feedback. And if I didn't think there were any good, I'd quit. I mean, I'm not one of those people that has a dream and you're not very good at it. You know, like if you're a singer or a baseball player, you want to do that professionally, but you fumble the ball. You, you're not good at it. I mean, I'm not like that. If, if, I, if I couldn't do it, I wouldn't. But I think I can. And some of the feedback that I've gotten, like from Dad and Madsen, kind of spurs me on to continue this. So that sounds like having that kind of encouragement really keeps you going because when you have an idea like that and everything that you're talking about keeps making me think. So recently I talked with another gentleman that I've been doing uh, these talks with. His name is Ray Tessie and he's the owner, operator, producer for neutral zone studios down in Georgia, which is a uh, faithful from the blueprints recreation of original series sets like the bridge, sick bay engineering and so forth. And we had discussed uh, the things like this, like fan films and how 
there there seems to be kind of like what you said. Someone comes up with an with an idea for a thing, writes a script, and then is saying, "Okay, I'm we're ready to film this. I guess we've got the script, we've got the idea. So next week, let's go, let's get to it." And it's not like that at all. There's this whole, uh, like you said, with the treatment and. I did a treatment and I'm thinking, well, mine seemed right. But after talking to you, it feels like, uh, yeah, it, well, and it's for a, a 15 minute thing. So I'm sure it really scales and the amount of work you did would not have been, was not needed for the kind of thing that I'm looking at, but it really feels like there's this, there's this thought that once I have an idea, once I have a script that I'm ready to go and it, you've looked at it and you're not. No, it's the beginning. I mean, even for producing a show, like, say, Star Trek Picard or Discovery. I mean, there's the pre-production phase for those kind of shows. Then there's the actual live production, and then there's post-production. I mean, in the pre-production, you have to – that's when the writing takes place and all that kind of stuff. And the writer's room where they go back and forth on ideas and start doing scripts. And even – when they have a script done, they have to go back. There's editing. I mean, there's some edits. They, maybe the script is too long. Maybe they want to change something. Everybody's involved in kind of polishing it. And then the person goes back and takes another, do it, does another pass on it and draft, you know, writes the next draft. And then they take it back to the writer. I mean, this all happens before you even begin to film. I mean, it's, that's why some of these shows these days, in large part, I think probably because of post-production, all the visual effects sequences that have to be, done and, and put back in and the video playback and that sort of thing. But that's why some of these shows take two years from the time that they're completed before you actually get to see them on your favorite streaming service like Paramount Plus or whatever. Now, the next question that I have is, and I just drew a blank. I'm sitting here listening to your story and it was in my brain and then gone just I'm as sorry. quickly. No, it's, it, it must be the, you know, my brain just doesn't connect sometimes. Maybe you know? I'm a mental sucker, kind of like the salt vampire. <laughs> I suck your memories. You, yes, yes, like the salt vampire. I remember what it was now. What was your inspiration behind these two stories? Was there anything that fed yeah. into it from the past, something that's happening presently? What can you tell us about just what gave you the idea? Well, I, I like Brandon Braga. He, he, was a, he cut his teeth on Next Generation, and he, he wrote some of my favorite high-concept sci-fi episodes from Voyager Next Generation, like Cause and Effect, Timescape, All Good Things with Ron Moore. Uh, he always, in all of his interviews, he says that uh, most of his episode ideas come, he's inspired by a single image. Like he said, he pictured Voyager trapped in ice, and that is what became Voyager's timeless. Uh, or he said in another instance that what gave birth to Scorpion was one evening he was sitting at home, and he just had this – I think he saw an ad for First Contact. It had just come out sometime in that time frame. And he thought, well, he pictured a dead board cube all of a sudden just springing to life, coming to, the lights coming on, and it just – so the, that kind of happened with me because one night I was sitting in bed watching Murder, She Wrote. I love Angela Lansbury, putting it out there. And I was propped up against my headboard 
And all of a sudden, I had this one particular strong image just come to me. It had nothing to do with what was going on in the episode of Murder Show. I just happened to be watching that, and my mind kind of wandered to something else I had. And that spawned it, and then I wrote it. And um, and five months, it was like I couldn't believe I had this. I didn't realize I had this in me, and it kind of like uncorked my, my creative juices, and I was able to come up with this. And so I did. Uh, the second series I came up with, it took me only a few weeks to really do that. And that one is more, that would, that series would be more for a brand new fan. I know, uh, Star Trek and the people behind it are constantly looking for a way to bring new viewers. They've been able to maximize the viewership that they have, the pre-existing fan base with a lot of the shows they've done, like Strange New World draws heavily on the original series and they're able to tap into that. Lower Decks does a lot of like, Easter eggs and, and name dropping and plays with that, like just recently with the whole Voyager 2 Vix thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Picard in the third season done by Terry Metalis, they really leaned into the next generation reunion and drawn. But this other series, I, I have a lot of friends that say this Star Trek thing seems fun. It seems interesting, but there's 10 films in two different timelines. There's, what, now 10 series? How am I ever going to be able to get into this? I want to get into it, but I can't. Well, this series, I think, may be a gateway to bringing in new fans. And so that's where that idea came from, because I had so many people say, David, I, I, you, you're so excited about Star Trek. You've got your action figures. You've got your, you watch it religiously. You get online, go to Trek BBS and talk it up with people, or you go, and everybody, loved, you know, I want to do that, but I just feel like I would be lost. I mean, I can't keep up with which. So this was why I did this other series. Is it difficult to have two series at the same time that you're trying to focus on? No, I actually have a third and fourth idea, but I haven't Holy. really got to Wow. So you have other uh, ideas. You've already got two. You have a couple more. I do have, I have a third and fourth idea. And each of the four ideas are as different from one another as night and day. They're not like one series is very similar to this series. They're, everyone is completely different. It's not a retread. It's not where I'm, duplicating and just changing stuff between the two or three series. They're very distinct with their own identity and their own place. I mean, uh, I feel like each one would diversify and expand on the tech portfolio. And I, I, I think the fans would like it. And I think the studio, but again, the issue is I've got to try. One reason why I'm doing this is to try to increase my profile and stand out because the greatest challenge I've encountered in these months of trying to network and meet people is the fact that a lot of them tell me every fan has the next great Star Trek. You're just another faceless fan who's going to give us some amateurish, ill-formed fan fiction. And I'm not disparaging fan fiction. I mean, fan fiction has its place and some of it's quite good, but that's the attitude they have. But then once they have a chance to look at what I've come up with and see what I've come up with, then they have a 180 and they're more receptive to me. So that's my challenge is to try to penetrate that stereotype that a lot of people, especially the people I need to reach, are going to feel, you know? 
Well, I think that I can relate to what you're saying because in starting a podcast and I started doing this in near the end of 2018, but it was a different name, different format of a Star Trek podcast. And then uh, retooled and renamed became Beyond Trek podcast around, I believe it was June or July of 2019. And one of the things that was kind of discouraging then, and it can come up here and there, and it always kind of stays with you is that there are so many Star Trek podcasts out there. It's crazy. I did a Google search a couple different points, and I'm not sure if it's counting ones that are active or inactive, but I saw a result came back. There were over 200 Star Trek podcasts listed. And when you see that, and you feel like Star Trek podcasts are pretty fat in the tail. Star Trek really is not mainstream like Star Wars and really just about anything else. And anyone who wakes up some morning can say, hey, I think I'll do a podcast about Star Trek and I'll review the top 10 episodes of TNG, DS9 and Voyager, you know, some low hanging fruit and start doing that. So it feels like, well, how do you set yourself apart when there's so much competition. And for you, how do you set yourself apart from knowing that there have been probably thousands of people, of fans that have tried pitching ideas to the studios? And now back in the 90s, during the TNG DS9 and Voyager era, they were actually actively and openly looking for scripts and ideas from people because you had these 26 episode seasons that you had to fill. And so you welcomed those ideas from others. And it feels like now, well, we only have the, these 10 episode seasons now with the streaming and it feels like they're certainly, and I can get it. They're very closed off on any kind of outside help or submission. Like we, we don't need this anymore uh, because we're, we're doing shorter seasons. So for you, how do you feel is going to be your way to stand out from all of the people that have come before you and all of the people that are probably sitting on what they feel is a winning idea right now? Well, it takes a lot of determination. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of negative feedback. Sometimes it, it can be so crushing, but you can't take it personally. Uh, but there's also the fact that you're right. Back in the 90s, open submission was quite, thanks to Michael Pillar, I want to give him props, the late Michael Pillar, who in a lot of ways brought about and ushered in the golden age of Star Trek, because at that time, you had it on the cover of Time. You had Next Generation Season 3 coming into its own. Uh, a lot of people look back on Season 3 as one of the best, and it's certainly definitely a step up from the first two seasons. He wrote the best of both worlds, as you know, which has really put next generation tech on the map for the simple fact that, you know, everybody was talking about how dare you, you're going to make me wait three months to find out what happens to Picard when he's captured by the Borg. That summer was torture. It was, but to me, it was a very transformative experience. I was like 13 years old and I was transfixed to this very day. I can remember what I was, where I was, what I was doing. And then he went on to co-create Deep Space Nine. He co-created Voyager. He took a chance on a lot of unproven talent that 
today probably, like myself, would not necessarily get that chance. I mean, he, uh, Ron Ronald D. Moore, you know, who wrote Tapestry, he, you know, he did all good things. Uh, he, you know, he did all these episodes. I mean, he recounts, I remember this, he was saying that he uh, was working at an animal hospital as a secretary. His girlfriend just happened working on the Paramount lot. He decided to do a spec script, hand it off to her. It landed on a slush pile. I think it was during season two when Maurice Hurley was running the show. And then when Michael Piller came in, they were they were desperate for scripts. He told, I think he was working with Melinda Snodgrass. They started going through it. They came across the bonding, which is his spec script, and hired him on. And, you know, so it's possible. Brandon Braga started out there. He was, you know, he was an intern on Star Trek The Next Generation. He went on to Voyager. He did, he co-created Enterprise and Threshold and Salem and he, he, most recently on the Orville. Uh, Brian Fuller, you know, he started out on D Space Nine and in the fourth season he went on to Voyager. Uh, he went on to do Pushing Daisies and, you know, those shows and he did a reimagining of the Monsters and he's done a Friday the 13th kind of prequel, I think. So, I mean, there, you can't, I mean, these people are success stories, so it gives me kind of hope. I don't, I'm not equating myself with these people necessarily, other than our, you know, this, this situation is kind of similar in getting a break on Star Trek. I mean, so my attitude is just your original question. I kind of went on a tangent, didn't mean to. That's okay. Going on tangents is just what we do on this <laughs> podcast. We're kind of known for that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to take a circuitous route to get to the destination. So <laughs> anyway, the, the reason why I decided all I can do is just do what successful people do. You have to keep at it. You just have to. It's a grind. You have to make connections, reach out to people, personalize yourself to where you're not a faceless person reaching out to them. Interact a little bit, engage them. They get to see you. They get to, you know, maybe even read your material and realize that maybe this isn't a joke. This isn't like a hobby that you just decided to do one day. I've taken it very seriously. I'm hoping that maybe I can break through and make the right connections, meet the right people. I don't know. It just, you, you don't know. I mean, I, I read a lot of autobiographies and memoirs and, and watch interviews of successful people in all kinds of different fields. And, and the one thing they say is a lot of time, it's just a, a lucky break. I mean, you know, you just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Someone likes you. Or they they like your material. They see they see something in you that maybe not a lot of other people do, and that's kind of what I'm hoping. I mean, if things don't work out, I mean, I'll go on. It won't be the end of the world, but I really do think I have something to offer. If they would just, they don't even have to take my word because a lot of people overhype and, and underdeliver. You know, most people think whatever they create is wonderful, even if it's not. But so I always say. Don't listen to me. Just look at my material and just judge that. If you think it's good, it speaks for itself. You know, it stands on its own. There's not much that you can really openly say about these ideas because it's recommended not to put too much out there. So with that being said, how do you build that following or the attention to it when at the most you're saying, this is a good idea. These are different stories, but I really can't say anything about it well i i i think i'm hoping i'm piquing people's curiosity that may have some influence 
like maybe somebody at Secret Hideout, maybe somebody at the development team at CBS, you know, after, after the strike, they might reach out to me or whatever. I realize right now everything's frozen. I can't do anything, you know, and uh, I've kind of, that's kind of what I'm hoping. I mean, I'm going on here. I mean, you, like I said, you have to kind of like step up, elevate yourself, kind of like, no one's going to come to me. I've got to somehow reach out to them. And that's why I agree to do the po- podcast. Plus, I enjoy your podcast. Uh, you have a very, you put people at ease. It's not like, you know, you're going in front of a firing squad or anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm not well, Tom Brokaw. I'm not going to pepper you and grill you during an interview. No, no, you're not going to do that. I appreciate that. That's, that's very nice. It's very, puts me at ease. Yeah. Good. Well, and that's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. Well, I think that you got good advice there because when you feel like you've got something that you, that you like, that you've worked really hard on, peaking that interest and getting the curiosity, I think is a big thing. Whereas if you, I, 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 I want to tell you that I'm certainly very curious as to what this is. Like it's, it's killing me because it sounds like this is something that no one has come up with or thought of. It sounds pretty exciting. And even in, in my head, I can't quite put together, okay, what, what is it? If I had to try to guess what he's thinking about or talking about that hasn't been done or isn't something that's been proposed. You've certainly got, got my attention. I'm dying to, to know and to see this. And that's why I really hope that you get someplace with it because I want to say, Oh, wow. Yes, that is awesome. And this is definitely great. And it was well worth the curiosity to see it come to fruition. Well, I, you know, nothing's, I, you know, fa- the fan base is very diverse and different opinions. So I can't guarantee 100% of the people will like it. I'm sure they will pick it apart as fans are notorious for. But I I approach it as if I was a fan, but also a professional writer, and I tried to synthesize and integrate both aspects into what I was coming up with. And I, that is my approach. I really would like this just blurt out everything and tell you everything and, and go into it because I'm really excited. I, but I had to sit on it and keep it. I mean, my mother doesn't know anything about it. I mean, I haven't let her read the script. I haven't told her anything about it. Well, if mom I, doesn't know anything, you can't tell me. That would just be, yeah, I, that'd yeah. be rough. That'd be unfair. I, I haven't told my brother. I, oh. I mean, I've been very, 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 I, I know how these, I know, I mean, even if the studios were, were, fingers crossed, even if they were to get it, they don't want it out there. I mean, because even people that work on the current series, like Picard, they have to sign non-disclosure agreements. Every page of a script is watermarked with the particular person's name. And, you know, they can't, I mean, you ask the actors and stuff, like people were asking Michael Dorn, like, who are you working for in Picard season three? And he said, oh, that's a spoiler. And, and Marina Sirtis, you know, about Troy, she said, you know, they have non-disclosure, non-disclosure. So they're really particular about it, you know? And so I just think it's better to keep it very, 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 very close to the best. I mean, I want to tell people, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not trying to do a lost and drag it out for five years in this long mystery <laughs> box. Then you get there and you open it and it's a huge disappointment. Not, I don't mean to spend lost. I enjoyed lost, but some of the mystery boxes were a little less than what I would hope for. But, 
I wasn't a follower of Lost, but I have heard what everyone else has heard is that you had this. It just it didn't the ending drop flat. It just it didn't really. You had this whole thing that went for all these years and it was kind of like, all right, so how do you possibly have this end or pay off? And apparently it just did not. Uh, so I, I have certainly heard that a lot. Now, you mentioned that you've been very selective on who you've told about this. And the thing that I'm curious about is this is the kind of project where if you're going to get input from someone, you don't want it to just be something cookie cutter. Like, yeah, that looks good. Sounds good. Because I will tell you that there have been many, many occasions in the past where I've been working on a thing, whatever it, it may be, and I would get another person's opinion on it, whether it be audio, video or whatever, or something I'm working on. And you kind of get that whole thing where the person doesn't want to either doesn't want to tell you anything negative or doesn't even really view it or look at it uh, to give you input. You just kind of get this blanket. Yeah, looks good. Uh, you know, it's it's great. So how do you and that's that's something that I think is very damaging because if you're sitting on something that's a dud and you're getting told that it is great by your friends, family or whatever, then you walk in and and pitch this idea. You're going to get in front of someone that actually knows what they're talking about. And now suddenly you feel like, well, all these people I trusted to give me this input have let me down because everyone just wanted to make me happy. But the people that don't care if I'm happy or not told me, yeah, get this out of our office. What are you doing with this? So how have you gone about one kind of not telling, not saying too much about it. And also with being selective about who you do and making sure you get accurate input that you can use and not just a blanket. Yeah. looks great. Well, first of all, I told you, I haven't told the family, my mother, so I right. haven't gone to those that will always tell you whatever you want to hear. I have, I reached out, like I mentioned, to script consult and you pay script consultant and they're going to tell you if it's crap or if it's good and that was one way because i i have always even as a student in college and high school i want you to be honest with you. be brutal if it's not good don't tell me it's not because i don't want someone to tell me it's good just to make me feel better i want to feel good because it is good and if it's not i'll go back at it again i'm very resilient and tough i'll take another pass at it some, i mean i'm my harshest critic i mean the pilot script i did about 10 revisions on it myself before I even submit let a script consultant look at it because I'd have an idea for a dialogue, how I could shorten the scene, how I could rearrange something, make it a little shorter, more interesting and different uh, like visual effects. So I I have I think I've been very selective, very precise in the people that I reached out to who are very trustworthy. And if there wasn't something there, I think they would have told me I would have either went back and made another pass at it or I would have just given up because I'm not someone that chases after a dream if the dream doesn't want to caught. I mean, it, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. But at the same time, I do know that sometimes, even when people tell you no, you have to persevere and you just have to trust your own instincts. I mean, I've, I've like I told you, I've read a lot of biographies, memoirs and about successful people and they, they were just ground to dust. 
and they didn't have any self-esteem and stuff, but they knew they had something and they kept at it and they did make a break. Now, I'm not saying I'm not comparing myself to those people, but I honestly, I do believe that if somebody would just look at my review and look at it, I think they would see I was on to something with both ideas. And like I said, I have a third and fourth idea, but I just, I don't, I think that would be too much all at once. I, I think I need to just focus on these two right now. I think so too, because if you put yourself in too many different directions, then it kind of gets into a situation where nothing is uh, like stands out or is spectacular. They're all kind of, these four things are about the same level of good, as opposed to I'm focusing on these two things, which have a excitement level of great. It's, it's kind of like just putting yourself in too many different directions where you're not excelling at one or two things. You're just kind of trying to hold an average between all of them. Right. And so that's why I kind of just decided to concentrate on these two, because I think these are the two strongest of the four. That doesn't mean the other ones someday. I mean, I, I actually have a couple of ideas for original shows that I've come up with, maybe someday, but I kind of want to do the Star Trek thing right now. That's kind of where my passion is. Maybe, you know, maybe one day I'll do a, a, a different show, but right now Star Trek has impacted me my entire life. I mean, I can still, I mean, it was, you know, a lot of people say a, a record or an album by a specific artist is the soundtrack of their life. And I, to me, Star Trek was my constant companion as a kid through hard times when I was taking care of my dad and my grandmother. After a long day of being a caregiver, I would come and I'd turn on Star Trek and it was very, it was very uh, therapeutic. And Star Trek is kind of where my heart is. I mean, I still remember that Sunday when uh, I saw that Next Generation was going to debut with Encounter at Park Point and it was a big one page black and white ad. I remember going to Kmart. They, uh, that was back when they would do like tie-ins and stuff and I you could get a plastic cup and all the next generation crew were on the, the cups and I had to collect them all and that Halloween in 1987 I had to go as kind of a mix between Jordy and Dr. Crusher or something because I remember my stepdad uh, sewed a next generation uniform and I got one of the banana clips you know that inspired yeah. uh, the visor and I wrapped a rubber band around it and I went there uh, I had to collect all the figures oh yeah I mean, the playmates I mean that was the heyday you had all, I mean I even was lucky enough to come across a 1701 tapestry for card figure at the time at my local service merchandise I mean those are defunct now but I mean it was like they brought out the case and opened it, and I'm searching. I don't want to see this one. Oh, there it is. And I lucked out. Oh, my God. But Service so merchandise. <laughs> that takes me way back. Yeah. So, and then I was going to, you know, I figured maybe show and tell might interest you in this this kind of thing. So, I brought a little prop, kind of like in high school, you know, elementary where you bring. Well, anyway, when I graduated high school, the a friend of mine knew how much I loved Star Trek. And she couldn't think of anything she could get me that was unique. So what she did was she spent several weeks and presented this gift to me. How is this for a tease? You're, you're wondering what's over here, aren't you? I am, yes. Well, so she spent several weeks on doing something for me. It's a one of a kind. And I guess for a lot of people, it wouldn't probably mean a lot. But for me, first of all, the fact that she spent hours doing this and you know, for high school, and she knew how much I loved Star Trek. So 
she um, so presented it to me when I graduated that night. And I didn't know what it was. It came in a flat box. So I knew it was really thin. But I had to open it up. And it was this. She had etched a mirror with the Enterprise D. I don't know if you can see it because it's got a reflective surface. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. You can see. Wow. It's hard to see because of the, you know, the glass reflects. Yeah. Oh, that is nice. She etched the 1701D Galaxy class for me. And I've enjoyed it all these years. Can you see it okay? That is nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. She did all that. I see it. Yeah. Oh, I like it. You can see wow. the dish. Yep. I thought you might get a kick out of that. That is know. great. <laughs> Lucky guy. So that, you know, Star Trek has kind of been the soundtrack of my life. You know, and so, you know, like I told you, I, I was sitting there. I couldn't get a job because even though I have a degree in math and I have, I know a lot about psychology, nobody would hire me because I had there was gaps in my work experience and they didn't understand what well, it's not because I was lazy or I had to be a caregiver, you know? Yeah. And, um, but when I wasn't getting back from all these applications I'm filling out, I thought, well, you know what? Sometimes what we enjoy, what we may do, because a lot of people go through life kind of just stumbling in a career. They don't know really what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know what is going to bring them pleasure. And I thought to myself, sometimes maybe what looking enjoyed spending all your time on the front and knows that for me that was Star Trek. And I said, how can I, how can I harness this? And that's why I decided to do this. And I, you know, it may, nothing may come of it or maybe this is just the beginning, but I'm going to try to see to it. Maybe after the strike, maybe, just maybe somebody at Secret Hideout or CBS Studios or whoever after the strike might, you know, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And then, then it'll be uncorked. But then it'll be two or three years because, you know, it takes that long before, and it, you know, a series comes out. So it would be two or three years from now before it would drop. Unless things change. You know how the industry changes. Maybe maybe something has replaced streaming and who knows. Maybe we'll go back to syndication. Maybe we'll be more about basic cable. I don't know. Anyway, so. Yeah. Well, I definitely... Wish you luck in all of this. I think that what you're doing is great. I really appreciated us getting the time to sit down and talk. I am very much interested and curiosity is going to get the best of me. Would love to see this happen for you, which I I hope it does. And I really hope that at some point we're, we're going to be able to really see this and hear about this idea and to be able to say, we talked to David in the early days before he created this great series that we now get to enjoy. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's kind of the thing is Taylor Swift wasn't Taylor Swift until she was Taylor Swift. You know, I mean, <laughs> the, day before, the day before she became famous, she was just Taylor Swift. And then the day afterwards, she was Taylor Swift. You know, that's kind of how it happens. People that attain celebrity or any little, I'm not, again, I'm not Taylor Swift. Uh, but you know, anyone who changes success, they always say that there was the day before and then the day after, you know, it's almost like a metamorphosis. The day before nobody knows you, nobody cares about what you have to say. And then the next day, you know, 
So maybe, and if it doesn't, you know, that's okay. Life goes on and, you know, uh, I've been through a lot with, you know, loss and stuff with my family. So it, it gives me a perspective. And so I know that, you know, if you don't attain success here, you can attain it somewhere else. But I do appreciate you inviting me on. I enjoyed it. I could probably talk about Star Trek for multiple podcasts. Uh, but I would recommend other people that have not joined you since you're kind of like trying to get, you know, get some traction yourself to come on. I mean, it's fun. Show big Jason love, you know? Well, that's great. I appreciate the hustle there. And I think every little bit helps. It really does. So I appreciate what you're doing. Anything that I can do to help you would certainly love to do. And for right now, could you tell our audience what's the best way that they can follow you, support you, uh, just to get eyes on you and what you're doing? Well, I don't have a huge social media footprint, but you can reach out to me on Facebook at David, D-A-V-I-D-D-O. That's how you find me. Um, And so if you want to just... And if you happen to be uh, someone in power... Uh, you know, after the strike or whatever, that would be great to reach out to me and see what, look at it. You know, that's kind of what, but everything's frozen because of the strike and there's a lot of, uh, you know, you don't know where things are. I mean, even with a property like Star Trek, you know, they may be hesitant to want to do anything. I know Terry Metalis is trying to, you know, do Legacy, which I'm all for. I think he did wonders with Picard. Uh, But, you know, even that, who knows? I mean, there may be a change in later. Never know. I mean, it's very everything's in a state of flux. I hope, I do hope the writer strike and the Screen Actors Guild strike resolve to everyone's satisfaction. Uh, and so I'm, I mean, it's hard on everybody. I mean, I know financial hardships. I know I, I understand what a lot of those writers are going through facing tough times. You know, because most of them don't make a lot of money, and, and they just live paycheck to paycheck. Right? I mean, that's why they're fighting right now for what they are. I mean. Uh, they're trying to get a bigger piece, a slice of the, you know, what they deserve. And I, I think it's important. I mean, you know, people yeah. shouldn't have to struggle. Yeah. So for all of our audience that are listening, watching, please go to Facebook. Look for David Do is how you're known on Facebook. Show them all the support we can give. Hopefully we'll see these series at some point. So, David, on behalf of myself, Big J and Beyond Trek Podcast, Thank you for being on here tonight. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Maybe you can have me back and we can do it. Just talk about best episodes, worst episodes, favorite series, captains, anything and everything. I can talk about Star Trek all day long. That sounds like a deal to me. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at patreon.com slash beyond Trek. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.